Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for your collection of East Coast, West Coast rap battle CDs from the 90s. The war is over. Let it go. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. I've been making music like this my whole life that's fun and weird and surreal. And But I do distinctly remember watching the MTV Music Awards in 92 or 3 or something and watching all the grunge bands getting the awards and stuff and thinking, you know, that's great. I love these bands, but I wonder if we could lighten things up a little. <laughs> Millions of peaches, peaches for me. Millions of peaches, peaches for free. Millions of peaches. Peaches for me, millions of peaches, peaches for free. Look out! Hey, Paul. Hi, Ryan. We're back. Oh, we're back again. How was your break? What'd you do on break? Me? Um, well, I got into yeah. some pretty heavy body modification. That's going to explain, w- I've been meaning to explain to you the bat wings. Um, I was going to ask, it's one of those things. Do you point out to your friend that he has bat <laughs> wings? experimental. You have to go to Romania and they, what they do is they take, right. They take your balls and then they, okay. they, they take your scrotums and they stretch, stretch it out. And then your scrotums is on your back and they're bat wings. Well, wait, the ball, where do the balls go? <laughs> I've, I've inverted. They're inside now. They go inside. This is they go inside. So cutting edge, bleeding yeah. edge Romanian <laughs> technology. And I say bleeding because there was a lot of blood. It sounds painful. What do you identify as now? <laughs> this is What's your pronoun? <laughs> man bat. <laughs> um, man bat. Yeah. Well, because you can't say Batman because Bruce would get pretty upset. Did a... Did, did an engine just start? That's the sound of a 1986 Corvette okay. <laughs> that start, just started up. Probably, yeah, he's driving out of here. I'm not even mad if that stays on. It's kind of nice. It's a good ambiance. We can wait a second. Man bat. It's a grotesque way to start the season, Ryan, but here we are. I can't explain it. It just happened. I think I, we lost them all. <laughs> Everybody that was sort of rooting for us up until this point just turned off the device where they threw their laptop through a plate glass window. We welcome everyone back who started it anyway. What type of elevation do you get with those things and how long can you hang in the air? I'm up there 24-7, baby. I'm up there all the time. 
So yeah, you were talking about getting into window cleaning as a career. So this <laughs> is how you this is how you went about it. Was, it. It, it. Look, it was a long walk for it. I'll tell you that much. But I got there. I'd say filling out the census not easy because there's not a definitely not there's easy. not a checkbox for what I am. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you know, guys. I'm gonna tell a real story about how bad of a person I am. We were moving, and I hadn't filled out the census yet. And just before I was, we we're moving. Just knock on the door. Hello, who is it? It's FedEx or it's UPS. And I open it. And it's the census person. Wow. Hello, sir. You know, we you haven't done the census yet. Like, okay, look, I'll do it. I just I have something to do. So she goes, okay, I'm gonna leave something on your door because of COVID, and they leave a thing on the door. And I go, I take, I actually do, I take a phone call because I was busy as I was working. And half an hour later, I open the door, and she's still standing outside of the door. <laughs> And she goes, all right, you ready to do the census now? I'm like, have you been out there the whole time? <laughs> Wouldn't answer my question. And I just kind of got freaked out and I shut the door. I did do the census. I promise you. I put it down. I didn't know what to identify as, though. Yeah. But I, I wrote something in. Uh, yeah, the world is burning down right now. It's wild. Oh, God. It's all crazy. But we're doing our best. You know, the smoke has gotten better, I guess better yeah the smoke is burning down everything there's fires everywhere we're still covid we're recording this pre-election a lot of people not to get too serious is supposed to be levity a lot of the artists that i'm working with they don't want to even decide when they're putting music out until the results of the election happen in the yeah in november and i'm like wow what a weird time to be alive and yet there are moments of joy and we're going to talk about one of those moments of joy here today, Ryan. What a great way to get me out of that hole that I had dug. <laughs> Look, I'm flying amongst the clouds these days. He's flying around, baby. I'm flying around. We are talking about the presidents of the United States of America. Not that one. Not the racist one. The That the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's why I chose this album, actually, subconsciously, now that I'm seeing all my notes here. So what a search engine optimization was not a thing when they named this band, huh? <laughs> Looking for, you know, it's like banding and everything. So not only the band, but the <laughs> eponymous debut album yeah. from Chris, Jason, and I believe Dave is the other yeah. guy, because there was that Andrew guy, but there was later. Dedurer. Dedurer? Dave Dedur. I believe it's Chris Blue, Jason Finn. And then there was a member later, Andrew McKegg, I believe. With a leg for an arm and an arm for a leg. Hey, did you go to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College too? Yeah, these guys, they're from Seattle. They formed in 93. I almost am positive everybody knows that song Lump or Peaches. Yeah. You're familiar? I was. Or were? Yeah. And I did not realize that both would be on this album. And what a debut to have two songs that really pierce the culture like that on your debut album. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable, really. Did you have any previous experience with these guys? What's your president's history? My history of the presidents is I was very familiar with Lump because I was very familiar with Gump. I knew you... <laughs> I, we got there... Soon. We got there within about 15 <laughs> minutes of this episode. I thought it was going to be way later. I was going to not even. And then I decided to be true to myself. I could spend the rest of the episode talking about that. Yeah. And Weird Al, if you want. <laughs> what a great parody. The rubber guitar yeah. and how he, 
I always dials those things in, the videos and the production of the songs. Right. Weird Al Yankovic. He's a national treasure, in my opinion. So while I wouldn't go back and watch the Lump video for Giggles fairly often, yeah. I do periodically go back and just binge a bunch of Weird Al videos. So the idea of the presidents of the United States of America are very ingrained in my head because Gump is ingrained in my head yeah. because it's such a faithful parody of the video for lump and a pretty right. great parody of the song so anyway that's my like recurring knowledge of them but like everybody else i was aware of these songs when they came out so we're yeah. talking 95 94 something you know in that region so post grunge i'm in fifth or sixth grade something like that so when i was that age everybody's singing peaches and they're giggling because they're saying it's about sex or whatever and everybody was singing lump and you know so they were very culturally important at that time i guess my biggest surprise with this record was how much i liked the rest of it because i did not know what to expect i'm not really an alternative music guy i don't even love grunge all that much okay makes sense my interest sort of comes back to rock and roll after all that stuff ends Uh although i like most people had my flirtation with like offspring and Blink-182, which is sort of more punky, but the idea being that alternative rock thing, I just didn't, just wasn't a part of my lexicon. Yeah, that makes total sense. I figured you would love the guitar tones on this. Yeah. Because they're pretty good. You're a guitar guy. (laughs) I'm kind of a gear guy now. I am kind of a gear guy. Kind of a guitar guy. I can see that. You have a guitar on your shirt, the little Sun (laughs) Studios right there. No, but I, I love this album. And I think I told you over text earlier, like of all the albums you've brought to this show, this is one from the instant I put it on, I was just like, oh, wow. It was like chocolate or something. It was just candy for the ears all the way through. And, you know, sometimes we talk about, oh, we got to sort of struggle through some of these albums. And then after the struggle, you appreciate it more. And so that's fine too. But this one, nope, instant, Mm -hmm. got me right out the gate. Yeah, it hits you right between the eyes. And, I mean, we'll dig into this. There's a lot of conscious decisions. These guys, they're obviously smart guys, first and foremost. Good songwriters really care about songcraft do a lot of strange things. How would I say this? Instrumentally or with their gear? Yeah. So one guy plays what's called a bass guitar. (laughs) And the other guy plays what's called a guitar bass or guitar bass. So these are both just regular six string guitars, but they're modified. So Chris's instrument has two bass strings, just two that he plays the bass parts on. Weird. And yet Derrida's instrument it is three guitar strings. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And is that why in the Weird Al video there's only one string on the Hofner? Yes. Is he making fun of that? I had no idea. Yeah, that attention to detail he's <laughs> acknowledging. That's exactly, exactly right. Amazing. So this idea came from Morphine's frontman, a guy named Mark Sandman, who Chris had previously worked with, taking strings off of your guitars. Keith Richards does this. He does a lot of open tunings, and he takes... It's either the high string or the low string, low E string off, tunes them to an open chord, and then you get a different sound. But these guys, there's, we'll get into it also, it frees you in a way where you're not fighting the history of rock and roll and the the chord progressions and the licks and the, are you getting that one bend on the 12th? Like none of that matters because you're inventing a whole new palette. I believe they were tuned down as well. Mm. I'd like to see a guitar I used to own brought back to life. So this guitar was a weird old 
balsa wood silver tone that Mark Sandman from the band Morphine gave me. He's the guy that taught me how to play two-string, three-string guitars. He gave me this guitar, and I put one bass string on it, one guitar string, and then a doubled guitar string. And it was tuned to A, and it had the most incredible sound. You could put it into, I actually split the signal, put it in a bass amp and a guitar amp, and I was an entire band. It was miraculous. And it had these very, very crisp pickups where every movement of your finger on the frets would pick up and would, you'd, it'd be part of the sound was just the like rubbery, metallic, crisp sound of your fingers going over the strings. So that is a technical proof that these guys freed themselves from constrictions. You can hear it in the music. It has this energy. It's just so up, all of it, the whole time. Yeah, I was struggling to pin down their sound actually because it's definitely alternative rock for sure but there's it's like that post green day pre-indie thing like just right in that window but but again we get a lot of funk on here and then there's also mm -hmm. like a lot of rockabilly yeah what do you call yeah. it i don't want to call it psychobilly or hillbilly music but there's definitely like some americana in there in ways that i did not expect and it was actually quite a nice balance and I wound up just being in awe of their energy. It sounds like their instruments are just perpetually out of tune or something. Yeah. But well, yeah, putting bass strings on a guitar is going to mess up the neck most of the time. And then yeah. having a guitar without all those other strings, yeah, a lot of weird things going to happen. Also, probably, have you ever played a guitar with low-gauge strings? They bend all over the place. You, if you're bending and doing these things, it just is out of tune all the time. You've got to constantly retune. Yeah. But that's kind of why I like it's it. It's their sound. It's, yeah. There was a sweet spot in the 90s, and Nirvana obviously knocked this open, but there's tons of other bands that have this grungy style. There's the guys that took it really seriously, whether it's the Stone Temple Pilots or Pearl Jam or any of those guys. And then there's the guys that took it really lighthearted or sarcastically, like Ben Folds. Yeah. I think this band has a lot... Not in common with Folds' solo stuff, but with Ben Folds' five. Just that fuzzed out, tight trio concept. There is something about a power trio. Yeah. Where I think that every guy has a little more that he has to manage. There's no, it's not like the Eagles where <laughs> how many acoustic guitars are on stage, you don't know who's part. It's like, all right, well, if you screw up, not only are you playing the bass, sting, <laughs> but you are definitely... <laughs> getting some of the tones that the, a guitarist or a, a keyboardist would have to cover, and the same for the guitarist. Guitarist is probably covering guitar and keyboard, just harmonics and where the sound sits. And then the drummer has to work harder. Like, I don't think of... You could put Ringo in this camp. Those drummers, they're not drummers. They arrange the song. Yeah. Like, if you heard She Loves You on drums, you'd be like, oh, that's She Loves You. Right. Or Ticket to Ride. Oh, that's Ticket to Ride. But mo a lot of rock songs are just da, 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 a simple beat. This band has a lot of that in it, too, where all the little parts add up to something that's bigger than the whole. And that might be why they sound so clean on the record. And I, I interpreted that as a production style, but it may be by virtue of there being simply less people and <laughs> therefore yeah. more attention paid to each individual person. It, does, it never sounds muddy, none of this stuff. It's crystal clear, which is my preferred production style anyway but the thing i found actually most interesting is that they started as a duo a drummerless duo 
I guess Chris the drummerless and, duo. Yeah, Chris and Dave playing together in Seattle, which is kind of funny to me because like their sound reminds me more of the flyover states than Seattle. But I guess Seattle was the hub of music in the '90s. So. Right, especially this sound. Yeah, they met at the Bush School, and I looked into this. Some kind of elite education environment where I mean, I'm clearly talented, talented people. A lot of notable alumnus that you can check out on the. On the Wikipedia, have you ever heard of that? Is the Bush School like a music school? You know, I thought that it was more of a political thing just because of the name. But once I dug into it, it's the only independent private K-12 through school in the state of Washington. Huh. So it's not public school, it's private, and it's small. It's under 700 students. Wow. So... It's obviously a concentration of money and resources and connections and things like that. And that's where Chris and Dave met. And where they, you know, it's just like the Lennon and McCartney story, the guy with the same interest as you. Oh, I think he likes songwriting. Oh, we'll get on a bus to find the, what the B7 chord is, all that. I'm sure these guys had a relationship like that. And they started developing the sound. And yeah, so that duo, they were either the lo-fis, the dynamic duo, Pure frosting, or my favorite one, was just egg. (laughs) (laughs) And now egg. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, they produced this 10-song cassette called Froggy Style. And that is definitely a theme. I mean, this album is about animals Mm -hmm. and about sex. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily together. But he clearly, like, he loves bugs and animals. He has this deep affection for living things. But, you know, kitty on my foot and I want to touch it. And that's basically the entire, kitty on the foot and I want to touch it. All right, guy, we know what you're talking about. Don't try me with all that stuff. Don't try to trick me. Oh, man. Pretty clever guy. Now, actually, I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting dumber in quarantine every day. <laughs> Just a half a IQ point deletes every three days. The school, (laughs) the intense schooling thing reminds me of Folds too, right? Because didn't he go to music schools and stuff? And that's where he became intense about bass playing or piano or one of those. It was bass first, hyper-focused on the bass, slapping bass. And then it turned into pianos and piano scales. Yeah, yeah, it's all of that focus. It's, yeah, if you have the resources and that concentration, that's, it's basically how the Beatles did it. They just did it in Germany at, right. <laughs> in strip clubs. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so I guess they played their, some of their first shows in Seattle, 93. And this tiny label, Pop Llama Records, yeah. released the debut. But it was some of these songs from Froggy Styles. So that's the album we're talking about now. Remixed. And I guess these some of these vinyls are... Very hard to get a hold of. I'm sure they're, you know, collector's items expensive right now. The early days of the presidents were fantastic because we were like three weird little dorks trying to rock. But recording the debut album for the presidents was really fun because we just played and played and played and then going to record the record was just sort of playing them again. So it wasn't like uh, crafting something from scratch. It was just grabbing something from the stage show, basically. Now, Pop Llama really lucked out, I mean, in that sense. And then I I guess, right, didn't they have to bring Columbia in to facilitate the demand yeah. once it took off or something? It, well, yeah, it's the certified triple platinum <laughs> album. It's a lot of copies. <laughs> yeah. 
Lump Peaches, they said, and then Kitty was a single. Not that didn't really pierce the cultural consciousness like the other two, but those other two songs are woven right into all of popular culture. King of the Hill was the, he was even quoted Peaches. That's and, right. <laughs> Just to talk a bit about Pop Llama, and look, I forgive me, dear listeners and dear co-host, I am often going to be <laughs> citing Jack Whitey things, but there was two things that reminded me about the white stripes about these guys the white stripes had something similar where they were on sympathy for the record industry which is a teeny tiny label run by a con artist in southern california when the album white blood Cell, con artist what, yeah yeah it's a long story there's a great documentary about him called the treasures of long gone john just about sympathy for the record industry and how he sort of conned his way into being a record executive it's very fascinating anyway mm. he put out the white stripes albums before they were famous and then white blood cells which had fell in love with a girl on it took off and so they had to bring in v2 and uh, right. xl to handle the distribution because it was such a cultural phenomenon so high demand right reminded me a lot of this where pop llama has the they get surprised right where there's like it just takes off and mm-hmm. like, i actually don't know how i guess radio play maybe it started in college radio or something maybe it just picked up steam that way i really don't know because i'm not sure if the what came first the videos or the success um, or if they were, the success came in part because of the videos. Specifically this band, yeah. this album. The first single off the record was Kitty. And it ended up hitting modern rock radio at 13. And then Lump came out, 95. And then this is the thing that got everything going. Gotcha. Which, in combination with all of the MTV things at the time. and Because MTV was still sort of MTV. It wasn't... I think MTV faded into that reality land in the late 90s. Yeah. Maybe even the early 2000s. Yeah. So people still could discover music that way. I was discovering music on MTV via like TRL <laughs> until like the early 2000s. Yeah. And that went away too. Yeah. That was an event, right? Where you turned on the television, you heard something new and you might actually like it. Amazing. How things have changed. It was also weird because I was in New Jersey, not that ter- like an hour away from New York. And so whenever there was like a hurricane or something, it was so surreal to be watching like Carson, like look at it outside the fucking window <laughs> and then to be experiencing yeah. the same weather. Myself. I just felt, I felt very connected to that show. It was almost like the news or something. It was like the news for kids. Yeah, it definitely was. Anyway. I remember when Tom Green was on, the Bum Bum song went to number one and he retired it. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange move. Strange Strange move to make, Tom. Yeah. Daddy, would you like some sausages? Daddy, would you like some So, you know, this album, a lot of success. They toured for three years after this. They had to rush a follow-up out, which I like. Actually, there's not a bad President's album, in my humble opinion. There are some stray songs, and none of them reach the purity of this one. Yeah. Just the consistency of songs and production. Yeah, man. Wow. What? It's just, you turn it on and then all of a sudden it's over and it's just a fantastic, fantastic record. Some little highlights. They, in 96, they did a live concert from Mount Rushmore for <laughs> President's Day. <laughs> Introduced, ladies and gentlemen, the presidents of the United States. You know, very much their humor. <laughs> I, and so uh, this is another band that I missed. Didn't follow them real time. I probably got into them early 2000s so they're still together yeah. and they they eventually put this album out called pure 
frosting. No, 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 no. It was <laughs> pure pop for now, people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pure pop for president people. <laughs> it was the one with the baby on the cover. Love everybody, which also is a really, really good record. And I remember picking that up and being like, "Wow, this is really good." And going back through all of their music, and they. They, they went on tour, and I was able to see them oh, nice. probably 2004 or 2005. Yeah. And they have this song, if you get further into them, like me, and <laughs> they have this song called Death Star. And it's literally just about the Death Star from Star Wars, <laughs> and it's hilarious in this style. Hanging in the stars, suspended from the dark. Life is long and heavy like a shadow on a spark and it will blow. Massive killer orb hovering around. I remember I, I went to the show with my buddy Mike, Mike Filkowski. He's also a fan. And we both wrote in black Sharpie on our forums, Death Star. And in between every song, Death Star, Death Star. Nothing, not even a reaction. <laughs> Just like, shut up, kids. <laughs> but those, those are the fun shows, right? Yeah. Where you do that and you're goofing around and you're shouting things. Like, that's the most fun you could have at a concert. Like, shouting oh, totally. goofy shit at a stage. I have, fortunately, we, we play a little bit on, not to plug too much, but the Yesterday and Today podcast, my dad has audio tape of him and his three friends going to see Wings in 76. Wow. And they're all shouting, where's Ringo? And I was like, you know, they're goofing off like kids do. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where's Ringo? And that's the best. Sure. Like, that's the best. It's one of the things I miss about live shows is just interacting with musicians and experiencing that stuff. And Yeah, absolutely. It makes total sense to me. I do remember from that show, I'd love to track down the date of that as I get older. All those big moments, you're like, when was that? What, you what, month? What year? Chris turned his guitar around, so he pulled the strings into his body, and so the back of the guitar is facing the audience, <laughs> and he starts soloing. So he's miming a solo, but he's going... <laughs> <laughs> maybe a bit of distortion was applied to the microphone That's great it blew my mind <laughs> i've never seen anybody do that since then what a funny and fun trick that's awesome just the irreverence and the the humor also i remember looking around i figured it would be a bunch of people that looked like me you know, if because I remember going to fold shows and be like, bunch of dorks. Oh, look at that dork over there. Oh, hey, how you doing? And with this show, there were bikers and punks and guys and girls with gauges and piercings, tattoos, just normal looking people as well. Like somebody you'd see at a Chili's or something. And and the mozzarella uh, stick contingent. This band has touched on something that. I would have never expected a guy that'd be a fan of hip hop music or a guy that's a fan of heavy, heavy metal yeah. or somebody that likes pop music. It's a blend of all of these different sounds like rockabilly, as you said. I think that's why it was so popular yeah. is my point. I think these guys had this huge, huge success, triple platinum. I don't think that was even a common thing in the 90s at this point. Well, that's also before digital 
changed the musical landscape so that you're still playing by the old yeah. rules, which means that's a legit success. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. And they, you know, they went on, they did the, the theme for the Drew Carey show with the Cleveland Rocks. Oh, they did that cover? Yeah, that's this is that's them. Of Ian Hunter? Mm-hmm. Is that that's an Ian Hunter cover, I think. I right? believe Ian Hunter or Ian Drury or something. one of the, it may, I think Hunter, I think it's Hunter. He toured with Ringo, so I saw him do that and I always thought it was just him. But that's interesting. I didn't know the presidents did that. That's awesome. Yeah, so mechanical royalties or something. They're making huge cash off of that. There's another late night or not late night. There's another television connection. I was watching a bunch of videos with them last night. I guess Jimmy Kimmel was a big fan. And so I guess Kimmel had them on after they had split up and then got, got back together toward the right. latter half of the 2000s. But awesome. I think they touched a lot of people and celebrities included and then wound up paying it forward later. Although, you know, I haven't heard, heard much about them and I don't know what the hell they're doing. The actually, presidents? But, yeah. They broke up 2015. It's a wrap. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, were they still putting out records up until 2015? There was one in 2000, I'd like to say, eight or nine that was yeah. pretty good. I gave it a cursory listen. I could still go back. Yeah, 2008. These are the good times, people. And then kudos to you from 2014. I missed entirely. Because I yeah. remember seeing the record cover. It's this horrifying doll. And I mean, by 2014, we have Spotify. We have all this music. You put on a couple tracks, like, ah, I'm good. And yeah, like every, like a lot of bands, it takes a lot of work to make a new album and have it be something that beats the last album, at least in terms of something to say. Right. Think of it. They don't exist. Then all of a sudden, they, it's new guitars, new tunings, this high energy right in the middle of the, I guess, what would you call it? The grunge alternative explosion. And it was just something completely brand new. And then they turned in a few more things that were just as good, maybe a little better. I don't know, by 2008, do you really want to hear a grunge album or 2014 when you've got like Kanye albums? It's, like, it's <laughs> sometimes it's hard for me to realize you have these big paradigm shifts from these big artists. And then you have to make this decision as an artist. Like, do I want to make something for my audience or do I want to make something that's commercially viable or can I do a combination of both things? That's a, right. that's, that's a hard thing to do. Only the best ones seem to be able to, or the, the most versatile seem to be able to adapt in that way. Yeah. And there's room for the people who want to just stay in that style because it's shocking to me actually to think about how many people still come out for like the spin doctors or... Oh, yeah. I saw mean, them. I wish these guys weren't monsters, but like Smash Mouth, for example, like... There's still people that follow those groups around. It's just they're not relevant anymore because they didn't yeah. adapt or they had a couple hits. It's not like, you know, one of these perennial artists that changes with the times and yada, yada. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the music that they made in that moment was great. It just means that, I don't know, for whatever reason, they just didn't evolve much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you grow up. The thing that you liked as a kid or you liked when you're going through puberty or in your 20s, you go back to like, what? Why did I commit my so much time to this? Although I have no reservations about the Beatles going back to the Beatles stuff. You're like, yeah, this music still rules. Sure, but, sure. Ah, why did I make everybody listen to that weird Todd Rundgren album 10 times? <laughs> ah, Annabelle recently called Todd Rundgren Bug spray for ladies. 
<laughs> Sorry, Todd. I still love you. Uh, we love you, Todd. You know, the smart ones also diversify their own options. By ones, I mean people who are in these kind of rock groups that are attached to a moment in time. Right. They either be- become producers or they become tech guys or they move into DJ or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Whatever. And then they can live on in that other space for when a festival that carries a lot of other bands that were popular in 1997 or whatever comes around and you can do that. But yeah. One of you, who said in Rolling Stone that you weren't in it for the thing, you were just in it for the fame and money? Uh, I don't think any of us said that. Dave? I didn't say Come that. on, I, I read that. I read that in Rolling that. Stone. <laughs> no, but it's... Obviously, if, if you have to make some money if you want to keep doing this for a living, right? Oh, most definitely, I mean, so, yeah. yeah, I want to make a little if money. If that's your job and you right. want people like you, see, that's always been right. my plus. Because, like, as a band, you get more and more excited, like, as your shows get bigger and bigger and, like, more people get involved. And then all of a sudden, you know, you sell a lot of records and you're on MTV and everyone calls you a sellout, but really... Well, I, th- I think another thing that people don't understand, particularly the fans, is that you have to sell a lot of records to even make a living mm-hmm. as a recording artist. Especially I mean, if you've been on a label for a long time. Yeah, you have to sell so You have to be... You know, out there on the radio selling lots of records to even continue doing this for more than six months or a year or let's five years. I'd like to start talking about the album, but I know I can't yet. There's the energy. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. Welcome to Paul's Bullet Corner. This is where I uh, discuss the album we're going to listen to with uh, Strange Poetry. And I've got three for this one. Three, okay. And the first one's good, and the other two I'm like iffy on. But I'm going to start with the good one. Okay. Bullet point number one. Number one. Speed Primus for the Disaffected and Horny. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's what it is. It is. So this album, this guy wants to fuck... Yeah. He probably can or doesn't. A lot of big, big Primus energy coming off this one. Uh, bullet point number two. Number two. Do you find the Red Hot Chili Peppers songs to be lovely, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers themselves to be insufferable? Have I got a band for you? <laughs> <laughs> the world record for Paul's longest bullet. It's a very long, long one. Thank you. Thank you. Because and finally. Um, finally. Finally. The lovable precision slurrings of the swamp class and badass but that's great that was the bad one thank you that was great thank you that was great i gotta get my energy level up for this (laughs) those are meant to be bullet shots now (laughs) something far more offensive you were gonna start doing some bullets you had bullets last time all right let me make up a bullet really quick let me see if i can do this off the top of my head We'll call this aftershots or ricochets. Ryan's ricochets. <laughs> Ryan's ricochets. <laughs> ricochet. Ricochet. It's when you shoot the bullet and it bounces off something and comes back and hits you in the shoulder. <laughs> this is bad. This is, I got to go to the doctor for this. Oh, boy. My wife's going to be pissed. Oh, bullets. If this is too much pressure, Ryan. Just no, it's not. No, it's not. We can have a safe word. I mean, the first thing that comes off to my mind is, do you like animals and fucking? Well, then this is an <laughs> album for you. It's good. Uh, 
hide your daughters. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. Actually, it's better than all my. Hide your daughters. Is hide the your daughters way to summarize this record. Uh, a guy that writes <laughs> peaches in a can. They were put there by a man. That's a sociopath, and yes. that song <laughs> becomes a hit. <laughs> what? This I'm is a good about that. Nominated for Grammys, didn't win, but still amazing. All right, track one, Kitty. Kitty, I'm a fool and I want to touch it. So, my first note here is, I don't know what I was expecting from this record, but it wasn't this. Yeah, quite the, quite the opener. But I loved it out the gate. Like I said, like this, this song really grabbed me. And it's, it's got everything about the record, just right here. The humor, the rock, the vibe, the whole thing. It's just there instantly with this song. Yeah. This is a song he apparently wrote. He, I mean, he claims that they were playing and there was a cat. They were at Mark Sandman's house, the guy I'd mentioned before, who turned them onto this tuning. Scratching his foot, he went to touch it and it scratched him. He's like, oh, I'm going to write a song about it. But I just hear this song as a guy that wants to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, and I, I mean, I sat thinking, how do you connect those two things? How do you put that together? I don't, I don't know. I think it's a conscious thing, and he snuck it in. He's like, oh, you know what? This is a funny story. Let's write a song about this. It's a f- because you, I mean, we'll see in a bit track two. It's called Feather Plucking, but it was, it was meant to be motherfucking. Yeah. These guys are little deviant guys. Little, they like to skirt the line. <laughs> well, yeah, he plays with the metaphors so much that you never know what he's talking about. And I eventually, like didn't take anything at face value because i assumed it was all about sex or something but if it is on this one it's pretty veiled unless it's like the kitty on his foot is like somebody reaching out toward him at a show or something yeah like reaching i don't know like maybe there's some kind of thing he's playing with there but the whimsy is just front and center throughout the record and so you know you're not supposed to take anything seriously Oh, yeah. Take anything serious and throw it out right out the front door when you hear this track. You're like, oh, I understand. It reminded me of like Harry by way of the Buzzcocks or something. Like there's a right. fury there, too. But it's like an insane, funny fury. Like it's like Jack Nicholson in the Cuckoo's Nest funny and not like Billy Bibbit funny. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I totally understand. There's energy. Big, 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 big energy. It could also not be a sex thing, and I'm just a pervert, and you're a pervert, and all I, of that. <laughs> I, do, I wouldn't doubt it if it was. I don't know what sex thing. I mean, maybe some people are discovering things about themselves that they never knew when they listened to Kitty. I don't know. Look, furries are fucking out there. It's happening. You know what I mean? The whole end, I want to touch it, 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 touch it, kitty, 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 kitty touch it. Come on. <laughs> It's rock and roll. I mean, I mean, maybe the guy just likes cats, and I'm the I'm the jerk. But all I know is that I'm in. I hear this track. I'm invested. I want to hear the rest of them. Oh yeah, I guess there was tuned in a specific way because he could hit some C sharp, and they tuned these strings down. I don't understand any of the tuning stuff, and it's probably boring to everybody. Let's look up the. T- 
<laughs> what those springs were tuned to. I'm sure there's some resource if you really want to find out. But I guess you think of it, it probably makes covering this band almost impossible. Yeah. Well, that would have been a way for them to stand out from the crowd and from the rest of the pack at the time in the music world, you know? Yeah. The no cliches, but... There are some nods backward, though. I So not only did I get sort of that Harry Buzzcocks thing, but like I was saying, but he does like a lala or a meow meow. Yeah, he does the meow meow meow, whatever bit. That was reminding me of that part in the ocean where Robert Plant is going, la, 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 la. Oh, yeah, la, yeah, yeah, la, yeah la, definitely. La, la. I think these guys are still carrying on in the rock and roll tradition. They're just like the insane cousin of the rock and roll tradition. <laughs> they seem comfortable in that space, you know? Absolutely. There's a confidence to it. And also the line, fuck you, kitty, you're going to spend the night outside. Outside. Me, just <laughs> dying, laughing. Yeah. Funny as hell. Outside. Great energy from the band, good tones, good... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard it. I was like, I need more of this. And it was in a phase in my life where I liked really clean music. I don't want to say I was against heavily distorted stuff, but I didn't see the appeal. And then this album and a couple couple others from... I was like, oh my God, this stuff rules. Yeah. Just the aggression to the, the sound. Aggressive cleanliness, your second bullet. <laughs> Do you like aggressive cleanliness? Oh boy, how am I going to get myself out of this one? I know, going to track two. Feather plucking. A billions of birdies walking down loud. Docking in cold to clams in the clouds. Send a secret message and send it by worm. So vibrating spiders will receive the word. Wow. And then we get some Levon sort of at the top of this one. There's like a band thing happening here. Yeah. Love it. So we go from cats to birds, a billion birdies squawking out loud. <laughs> I, I really love the lyrics in this song. Yeah. Send a secret message and send it by worm. Send it Be- by worm. Okay, guys. Birds are eating the worms, I guess. Um, Ten million monkeys all pick up guitars, <laughs> but nobody taught them how. Love that. So that's all right. And I think I may be reading into this, but that's literally what this show is. So I'm going to read into it. I think this song, aside from probably fucking, because we can assume most of the songs are probably about fucking. I think this song is about the purity of nature. Yeah, I'll buy in on that for a dollar. <laughs> because when he's singing about the monkeys with the guitars, I think he's singing about like, because right, the refrain is nobody taught them how, nobody taught them how, and then there's other ones like nobody taught them how, whatever. I think he's just talking about like kids are just sort of, they're not taught this, but they know instinctually to pick up the guitar and beat at it, you know, and they yeah. maybe pick up a couple chords or something. It's that line from Off the Ground, the tree uh, doesn't need a pot of knowledge, but the tree knows what the tree must know, whatever. There's like things you know because you must know them. And I think that's a little too heavy and probably bullshit philosophical, but I think there's something to that with this song. Nobody taught them. I think that's what I'm going to cling to. That's what, it's my insight for this song. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. There's some kind of message that's being communicated and all of the... Animals send it in a different way. The birds squawking. Right. 
clams in the clouds, sending a message by worm. The spiders move around, and apparently it's in their footsteps. It goes on. The one that really caught me was the sending a subsonic signal through the snot in the middle of an elephant's long, wet, cold, gray nose. (laughs) But that's totally feather-plucking insane. Motherfucking insane. Obviously, guys that are very aware, he just notices all these little details. I find the guy charming. I, I like the... Me too. I do. Is it childish? It's not. Yeah. Ch- it's or childlike. Childlike. Not childlike. That's that's a better way to say it. He's not really cynical, but they are a little irreverent, and I can always buy in on somebody like that. Yeah, there's an element of innocence about what he's singing. They're almost like nursery rhymes ish. Yes. Which is again in that white stripes tradition, but the well it predates the white stripes. But there's a wink and a nod there, so you know that. You know that he thinks he's getting one over on you at least a couple times. Yeah, definitely. But then you can also just have them be fun, childlike songs, you know? Absolutely, totally. Ooh, that song was me basically trying to write a Lenny Kravitz song. I loved early <laughs> Lenny Kravitz stuff because it was so well recorded and so, like, compressed and beautiful. But, gotta say, the vocals, the lyrics, not my cup of tea. So I was like, you know, I love Lenny Kravitz's vibe. It's all mellow and loose and kind of, like, you know, Beatlesy and... But I'm going to put in, uh, lyrics on about animals escaping from the zoo and playing instruments instead of trying to save the world with the lyrics. Yeah. So that was the idea. And it, di- it had a very na- uh, naughty uh, title at first. And Dave Dieterer was actually the one that came up with Feather Pluckin' as the replacement for the naughty title. Sorry, at least your title. Mother Scratching. Mother Beep. Ding, yeah. Yeah. You can swear on this. It's oh, motherfucking. It was motherfucking? Yeah. Shall we go to, go to Lump? All right, Lump. Lump sat alone in a boggy marsh Totally motionless except for her heart Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas She totally confused all the passing piranhas She's Lump, she's Lump, she's in my head She's Lump, she's Lump, she's Lump She might be dead Again, I was sort of shocked that this one and Peaches were on this album, but this is a class. Like, this is the one I knew, as we talked about. But going back to it, it holds up. Oh, yeah. Very listenable. Doesn't really sound dated. It kind of just holds up. Yeah. Arguably their best known song. The bassist and the lead vocalist, he came up with the song when he was cleaning his room while listening to a mixtape of various recordings he made. And I guess in one of them, he sang is this lump out of my head? I think so. So he heard that little bit and grabbed it and rewrote a song around it. My next note was, yeah, Gump. Everybody knows this by Gump. Right, right, right. And I guess Chris had some kind of lump removed from his head. Really? Actually, yes. And a lot of the lyrics come from this moment where he was really sick, really in this half awake, half asleep fever. And a lot of the lines he wrote, you know, about a buggy marsh and all of that. There's something about his health he's digging into in this song. Yeah. Didn't he have a, I think I read he had a, an allergic reaction to the antibiotics he was on. There you for, go. To treat pneumonia. And then out of that, came all of these vivid dreams and hallucinations of all this shit. It was, I think the, the story you're referencing there i read earlier today but 
Yeah, it's great imagery for sure. I mean, it reads like tripping. It reads like these guys did a lot of acid, but I think that yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe they did. I don't know, but I guess it ultimately came from this actual medical you know, problem that he had. I guess that's not uncommon when you're in an altered state. It's easier to access some form of creativity like that. Oh, we were talking with Bell and Sebastian when the, that guy... Oh, yeah, uh, right. Was, in, you know, infirmed. That's where Ringo learned how to play. There's a lot of stories like that. That's right. That's right. Guy was sick. Girl was sick. Here's this thing. Do this thing. <laughs> Biggest songwriters in the world. You had me thinking about these lyrics because you were like, I, mean, I think you said it over text. You're like, where do you figure out what that song is about? So I was like really like studying the lyrics to try and find the story. And the best I've got is that it's, it's a groupie, right? It's a groupie who probably died. Yes, Exactly. And, you know, because she's sat alone in Buggy Marsh, totally emotionless except for her heart. Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas. She totally confused all the passing piranhas. That's her as a little kid sort of... Yes, this woman. I, th- I guess shitting her pants? I don't know. Like, yeah, this woman lying in a, in a swamp. Yeah. Not moving except for her heart, so her heart is still beating, but clearly something's wrong. He says a bunch of times she might be dead. But then... He's yeah. saying she's in my head, so but go on. Well, so the next the next one here, Lump lingered last in line for brains, which is by the way the best the best really way good. to phrase that. Really, really good. And the one she got was sorta of rotten and insane. Small things so sad that birds could land. Is Lump fast asleep or rocking out with the band? So I think that this is her discovering rock and roll. And even though she's I'm guessing here hillbilly. And I apologize if that is that term is offensive to anyone. I don't know if it is or isn't, but I assume it is offensive to someone. Not offensive to me. I assume she's some sort of wood person. <laughs> In, is that worse? Maybe I don't know. Wood person. So, but then she discovers rock, and that's her. That's her space. And then last we have lump was limp and lonely and needed a shove. Lump slipped on a kiss and tumbled into love. Another great line. Yeah. Spent her 20s between the sheets, and life limped along at subsonic speeds. So she was just bang a lot, and then I guess we're supposed to interpret that she maybe had a kid or subsonic speeds, or maybe like she, then it just calmed down and she went back home. I think she, I mean, maybe died? I don't know. It sounds like a rock and roll casualty of the whole song. Yeah. Somebody moving way too fast, burned out, and yeah, just that whole swamp. Found her in the swamp, whether that's literal or metaphorical. And, it, you know, like Sid Barrett, right? He burned himself out on acid. And he would, you know, endless, just stand on stage at some of those Pink Floyd concerts, not do anything, couldn't play, he was on stage yeah. or in the studio. It's just, to me, it reads like a rock and roll casualty. Sure. But who knows? Yeah. It's, again, that's why the song was popular. It also yeah. grabs the zeitgeist of that era that's how all those people felt yeah everybody was mad yeah post reagan guitars are coming back people ah, a lot of aggression you know the greed of the 80s had spilled over into the 90s and things were bleak again ah no thanks yeah it's the gen xers who had recently been lulled to sleep by the grunge movement (laughs) who are now woken up by this kind of shit and yeah. are still angry, but I don't know. I think maybe are the younger Gen Xers is possibly Agreed, yeah. who's listening to this. But the video I wanted to touch on just real quick, directed by Roman Coppola. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. 
I did not know that. Everyone slipped past me. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a great video. And I was expecting to just only see Gump when I was watching that video. And actually, stands up really funny. And the band is extremely animated. And they're all in those suits and in the marsh and on a, I guess, on like a trash barge or something like that. Just really, Mm. if you haven't seen that video in a while or haven't at all, worth a watch. Yeah, unique in all definitions of the word. Yeah. Very, very, very cool stuff. Is this lump out of my head? I think so. <laughs> However it ends. <laughs> rolling, rolling into stranger. You, Leonard Skinnerd hat, and me, little kitty, sat across with a velvet jacket, wild orange hair, Dark, dark eyes. I got. You seem cool for a naked chick in a booth. <laughs> Let's be <laughs> pals someday. <laughs> you, Lennon Skinner hat. Yeah. And me. Pretty. It's kitty. a pretty song. I like this one. The album is well paced. It's yeah. one of those records where after lump, what do you put after lump? You can go <laughs> higher than lump. If you can, you'd have another hit single. Yeah. So yeah, they pull it out. Great little track. The little kitty comes back. Sure. And I can't believe these guys and the choruses they're making. Yeah. I saw you. It was incredible. Mumble <laughs> these words at you. Unintelligible. Ma, 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 ma. Oh, my God. Yeah, they crack me up all the time. I think that's why I really wanted to do this, because it's just joyous the whole way through. Yeah, they're very funny. And like you were saying with the Kitty thing, Kitty pops up again at, toward the end. I mean, it makes the album feel very purposeful. It makes it feel like a of a piece because there's consistent imagery. And although, I, you know, you wouldn't call it a concept album, certainly feels cohesive. Absolutely. Great little track. I mean, I think that whole unintelligible thing is an exact, is like a bit of a shot at Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. I don't see how it couldn't be. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, not, I mean, not a song I rush back to, but a good one. Two lead guys talk about how Chris's voice is high and almost nasally, yeah. and Dave's is lower and has a bit of a growl to it. And so they do this trick where Dave will sing a lower harmony, sort of how John would sing a lower harmony to Paul. And so Dave's gristle, and then Chris's pure tone when they come together, that's part of where their signature sound comes from. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't love either guy's voice alone, but when it's blended the right way, they sound great. I, I think I like Chris's voice, especially when he's shouting. Yeah. I think it's just, it's all about the energy with that guy. It's so. the energy, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? I mentioned John and Paul. I failed to mention the whole Beatles nod and feather plucking at the end. Did Which you catch Beatles? that? No. Oh. All the way at the end of the track, they're going, everybody supernova. Like, everybody had a hard year, all of that. Okay, and, I didn't And know I that. guess they had, it was even more of an obvious Beatles reference to I've huh. Got a Feeling, but they, they had, to, the, their little record label made them take it out. Huh. Because you know how those boys are with publishing, the right. Beatles being, but. That's funny, because you know, I think of him with that Hoffner, I guess they, yeah, they must have been Beatle nuts. That's great. Now, the Hoffner, that's a fun little aside to think about. I've been thinking about buying one of those, but. Every time I go to buy one, I go, I can't buy this guitar. There's only, 
two people that can play that guitar. Paul McCartney. <laughs> and the guy from Wang Chung. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be you have to be like a cute indie chick in an indie band to pull off a Hoffner, you know? Oh, you know, Charlotte Kemp Mole, I think, played a Hoffner. Sean Lennon's cohort in Ghost of a Sabretooth Tiger. That makes sense. You following Charlotte Kemp Mole on the Instagram? Whoo. Spicy. <laughs> Shout out. Whew. The things that are on Instagram are baffling to me these days. El Pollo Loco. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> Paul likes a bit of a spice. Tapatio. We're going to fast forward to the track Boil Weevil. Boyle Weevil. I love this little song. His name's Boil Weevil. Check him out. Spends all day on his big butt. And he don't ever, ever get outside. I come to visit. I bring some sunshine. And I just spread it all over the fire. He's stuck on his big couch. Stuck in his big shell. I promise I'll stop after this one. I promise, Ryan. I promise I'll stop. I doubt it, but but it's on record now, so I promise. The like Bull Weevil is a folk song. Like it's a it's an Americana folk song. Hundred percent, sure. And the White Stripes close every concert they ever played with the song Bull Weevil. So when I'm when I put this on, I'm oh, thinking, really? Yeah, that was their ending song. They end every single show they ever played. They end with Bull Weevil, except for like TV appearances and stuff. And so I'm expecting to hear the folk song because I'm very familiar with Bull Weevil. And then I get this. And my first note is, yep. my first note is, ha, 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 holy shit. My second note <laughs> is, holy shit. Uh, and then my third note is, this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Very funny genre blending style song. I have a mini bullet for this one. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna call a special song bullet. A sing song a bullet. sing song bullet. Song bullet. Green Day's Long View for extroverts. Wow. I love that. It's, it's got the a little bit of that flavor on there, but boy, is it bright. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess Chris, this is a little four track piece that had unintelligible lyrics but a really cool vibe he said a great vibe and melody yeah and these lyrics are about a good friend who was spending a lot of time inside with computers and the tv and would draw shades on a sunny day and play video games all right i guess yeah he knew it was about him chris called it their boogie woogie number <laughs> <laughs> awesome amazing it's a really feel-good song and it's got that cool phaser effect on that bass yes. guitar solo. Yeah. That I really, really dug. Bouncy. Not many songs I've ever heard that I go, oh, you know, this reminds me of Bull Weevil. Sounds like Adam and the Ants by way of George Clinton or something. There's like, there's like a... Oh, yeah. It's an odd brew that these guys craft on every song. But through their lens and through their conviction, I'm ready to buy it. Oh, yeah. Take my money. Come on, what's, little buggy. What's the line? At the end. <laughs> Come on, little yes. buggy. Whatever. He's a little bug. Now, I would tell you about Boy Weevil, but that bug is just too scary. Sitting there all alone, I try to coach him out with chocolate pies, but he would not move a muscle, and I tried to make him see that the sun is shining outside. Great, great big chorus. Yeah. Awesome. Not a single, but a great album track. Great album track. Awesome song. I really like this one a lot. It does have, you said Primus before. It has some of that angular, you know, to it. 
Very Primacy. Very. I think they were contemporaries because I know Primus was doing their thing in 95, 96. And similarly to the Presidents, Primus did a theme song as well to uh, South Park. Oh, of course. And uh, dun, 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 so yeah, but yeah, kind of a similar like uh, deranged backwater. Totally deranged. Love Bull Weevil. Love it. Oh boy, peaches. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Peaches come from a can, they were put there by a man. Soaking bulges in the shade, yeah, baby! Okay. Woo! Yeah, baby! Yeah, baby! Yeah! Another iconic song that holds up. Oh, absolutely holds Great up. Great song. Moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. Great. That's your chorus? Yeah, I'm in. All good. So I did look up a little bit about this song and its origins. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I, do you mind if I take the to wheel and drive out to the country for this one? Jesus, take the, shake the wheel. So I guess it was about, written about a crush that Chris had had when he was younger mm-hmm. and the, the lady that he was had the crush on in her, in her house in front of it was a, a peach tree that checks out from my notes here. And I guess he was waiting by the tree to work up the nerve to talk to her smashing or crushing the peaches in his fist, and then ultimately gave up and left. Um, Lucky girl. <laughs> 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 it's a weird story. I appreciate yeah. him putting himself out there like that because people have weird stories like that that they're not all ready to share. And so I appreciated that he that he did that. I always just thought it was about fucking. Yeah, me too. Because butts and peaches and such. But I guess it's both. I don't know. He goes on this rant. There's a interview. I think it's music feeds. Peaches, there, there's this, this whole, I, I hope it's still there. If you just Google a uh, Marxist interpretation of peaches, <laughs> yes. up pops this. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah. I have nothing to call it but a treatise or a manifesto or something. And somebody has, uh, th- this thing has been in, around the internet for years and years and years. And it's a full analysis of, of how Peaches lyrically is just a, a, a metaphor and a very accurate metaphor for uh, socialism. Mar- for, yes, for international socialism. And, Meanwhile, and it's a, just a certain brand of Marxism. It's just a dude that's kind of but, wasted. Oh, he's a whack job. <laughs> but but it, the, the way he reads it, you're like, you know, it kind of it. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, the way he's he's seeing it is um, kind of uh, it's you're you're gonna want that. Uh, seven minutes back. From- and I don't want. I, basically, he, his point is, I don't I don't like to tell people things that about because. Their version of story is better than his version, and I believe that the real version of story is yours. Yeah, that yeah, you that's just fair. gave. Yeah, you hear that a lot from ours. I appreciate that idea that art, once it leaves your hands, belongs to the beholder. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Although that is a litigiously speaking, you know, probably not accurate. totally true. Totally. Um, what I appreciate the most about this song is that it is basically two songs, and both are very hooky. They're sort of smashed together. There's the moving to the country part, very hooky, very catchy, very compelling. And then you get the play out refrain, which I guess if they're Beatle guys does make sense because there's some Hey Jude on there. But Mm -hmm. both are hooky. Both are fun. I don't know how you do that. 
and then have a have a like a song like this and have lump on the same album like i know i've brought up a couple times i find that to be very shocking that they really just knocked out of the park particularly on their debut album you know you're 100 percent right they are two songs chris was out of town he was touring with back in 94 oh wow just by himself or no he was in beck's band you said I believe, yes. And just some instrumental stuff. The verse and the chorus of the song were done at this point. So Dave and Jason were running them and they decided that they needed an ending. And I guess he's listening to a lot of Neil Young, that album (laughs) Ragged Glory. And so he wrote that part on the spot for a heavy, dissonant kind of Neil Young chugging along. You know that song, Fucking Up? I guess that's what it's meant to be. Wow. That's I need awesome. to listen to more Neil Young. Yeah, you you nailed it. This song nominated for a Grammy. Deservedly so. The two times they were nominated, they didn't win. He said he was okay that they lost because they lost to Nirvana and then the Beatles. <laughs> so wait, the Beatles? What for the for Free as a Bird or something? Or? Something like that. Yeah. Wow. Good for them. It, it, look, it's a great one. One of my other notes on this song is the, these guys are just legit good songwriters. Great songwriters, yeah. Really good songwriters, yeah. Excellent song. Track seven, Dune Buggy, maybe my favorite on the whole album. I like this one a lot. A little blind spider took the wheel. Navigating grass blades completely by feel. Gotta sass a chassis. Sparkle in the sun All four small ball fat tires Rocking through the sand and burning up Little dune buggy In the sand A little blue dune buggy In my hand Sequenced perfectly right after Peaches Because they are similar stylistically but it diverges and it it diverges in that bass sound that you were talking about that sort of differently tuned bass or guitar thing and those licks again they were reading to me as out of tune but i sort of was reading the whole band as out of tune like that tuning wasn't the point it was it was a warping of vision yeah and this song definitely warps your perceptions when you're listening to it absolutely he loves laying in grass Parting the blades and looking at all the bugs crawl around. <laughs> and so I guess in guys smashing peaches, waiting for a girl, <laughs> staring at the bugs. <laughs> I'm not painting him out to be a normal man. So he was just fantasizing about bugs driving around in cars. And that is just literally what the song is. Yeah. Well, I, by this point in the album, I'm thinking, okay, everything's a sex metaphor. So when I was listening to this song, I was thinking, I don't know what this is a metaphor about, but I guess it's not, but maybe, I don't know. The Icelandic people sure took to it. Number two in Iceland. (laughs) They didn't, they couldn't understand what the song was about. (laughs) It's probably something else. This in English sounds like something else in their language. They're like, oh, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a Beach Boys song. The Icelandic Beach Boys. Yes. Um, yes. The... They were trying to sound like Steve Miller on this track, I guess. <laughs> really? The harmonies. I don't hear that at all, but okay. I like the, the, okay, so they have that sort of warpy instrumentation. But what I also like about their execution of these songs in the studio, and I don't know if that was whoever was producing this record, Chris gets really close to the mic. Yeah. And the vocal 
feels like he's talking in your ear. Like there's, it feels very intimate in that way. And yep. so you get that and that's sort of calming in a sense. And then you get that sort of breakbeat kind of hip hop drumming thing. And it makes total sense that he would have been involved in some way with Beck because Beck, these guys, the aforementioned Red Hot Chili Peppers, they're part of that 1994, 1995, 1996 era <laughs> where they yeah. were really pouring alternative guitars all over hip hop. And it's not new metal yet. It's much more high energy. It's almost it's like where ska would then continue to evolve into and stuff but i don't know it all it to me this is right my sweet spot this kind of sound record i mean it sounds yeah it's a, really a little dated but it's it's my sweet spot I, I i prefer a a record to be produced like this and i like a sound like this yeah i agree with you great track dune buggy it was in rock band which was shocking to me yeah like a special download or something yeah yeah, I just wouldn't. You'd think it'd be some, one of the other songs, but maybe they were in there. And I just this is an anecdote I pulled without any context. <laughs> Whoopsie Daisy. Track eight. We're not going to make it. I originally thought that these guys wrote this song, but apparently it's a cover of a band called Tracy Lord's Ex Lovers, and it was their oh. anthem. And Chris said that they decided to cover it because. He was thinking one day about how there's all of these bands with all of these songs and sometimes the bands just dry up and all the recordings never make it to the internet and the songs disappear. Yeah. And he just didn't want this song to disappear. Huh. It's a really, really funny, funny record. song about how a band is going to make it or you know the songs is not going to make whatever it's really funny and i did not realize i was going to get this when i got this record this song in particular also reminded me of like high energy tim heidecker a little bit yeah yeah it's got a little bit of that on maybe it's because it's a cover and tim's stuff tends to sound like covers even though they're originals but the yeah it's oh, that's uh, that's an interesting Thing to notice huh yeah but no i like this one a lot this is a good one i didn't have any notes I, on this one actually i just i just thought it was very very funny oh it's really funny why did you leave in the false start chris he just responds punk rock <laughs> 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 awesome yeah. i love that attitude that attitude brings me joy there's a million better bands with a million better songs drummers who can drum and singers who can sing Deep in my heart, I do believe we're not going to make it. Definitely <laughs> explains why the band didn't make it. That's your anthem? It's really funny. Self-destruction <laughs> in its finest. But. Yeah. So then that, so this is a great selection of songs. And then track nine comes on, kick out the jams. Yeah. And it's just like, what is going on here? One minute. It just doesn't stop. One minute and 26 seconds of Tenacious D fuzz guitars glory. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. 
a lot of fun. You know, they play with, I guess, isn't Kick Out the Jams the big MC5 one? So, like, it is, but he even says he weird Al experimented where he changed all of the words <laughs> and they made it their own. But, like, and I guess they opened the set every night with this, or they did. All right, so that's in the same kind of tradition as them taking Bull Weevil and making a different song out of it. It's that irreverent attitude that takes something pre-established and turn on its head or warp it or something. I feel yeah. like maybe this song is the band's mission statement. Like, Totally. You take these traditional institutions, you reappropriate them for their aesthetic, You know, whether it be a president or I think he talks about astronauts in this song, and then you tell that institution to go to hell but with a wink and a nod and maybe a little bit of a stink finger because like it, I think he actually kind of admires those institutions in a way, but also is trying to take the piss out of them. Totally. I think it just sums up their whole approach just in this one track. When I read the lyrics to this song, I laugh out loud every single time, every line I've been elected to rock your asses till midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. This is my term. I've shaved off my perm, but it's all right. I solemnly swear to uphold the Constitution. Got playing with the title of the band. Yeah. You know, this is, this is exactly what you're saying. And I just like how <laughs> he goes, let me be who I am. And then later he goes, let us be who we am. <laughs> and let us kick out the jams. That's awesome. Very funny. Very, very, very good stuff. Yeah. Like some of the tracks, like the track after Lump brings it down. Body, track 10. We go way down, you know. Little salamander, where did you go? The edge of the yard. I found you, you know. All brown and hard. I can't get your body out of my mind. Tight groove. Can't get your Very sexy sort of song. Yeah. And... I guess he said, he said, uh, Chris, we usually play this one way late in the set when everyone is nice and sweaty. <laughs> he says, I always like this one because it straddles the fine line between a nursery rhyme and a Prince song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was getting some like lounge lizardy stuff in this, you know, like, and it's funny when I was typing the, the note about a lounge lizard he starts singing about a lizard in the song and it was very cosmic at that moment. But yeah, there is a lot of sex on this one. You know, can't get your body out of my mind is that refrain or the, well, the, he was asked, they said the progression is unusual. It really stands out in the chorus. What inspired it? Chris he goes, sex inspired it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, finally admitting, yeah, here we go. Okay. He's letting it out at the, out of the bag. Yeah. And there's there's that double time drumming at the end. And at the time when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I think this is my favorite song on the album, actually, when I was listening to it. But I don't know if that's true in thinking back on the record anymore. But as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I, this is, they keep getting better. I, there's not a bad track on this record. No, not one. Track 11, Back Porch. Rocking back and forth 
That's my only destination. All right. So I was listening to that one on. I took my daughter to the beach early this morning before all of the coronavirus gets there. And um, we were listening to this album in the car ride on the way up. And when this song came on, yeah. she started dancing, like in the seat, Whoa. kicking her legs, flailing around, lo- took to this one. This one actually. I think maybe my favorite on the record. It's evolving into my favorite on the record. Really? Wow. You get those callbacks again. You get the slurping on a peach, kitty on my foot. You get the the other things and it started to feel like more of a cohesive album here. And this is the one that also felt the most rockabilly, country, whatever. 100% country style song. It's got that boom, boom, whatever, that, that kind of beat. And I just love that chorus, old man on the back porch and that old man is me. It's very funny. Yeah. Chris said that this was a song he imagined what the band would be like if they never hit it big. And so he said he would move to a shack in the woods and grow old in. And I guess that's what it's about. And he, he turned that concept into what he calls speed country. Yeah. And yeah. So Dave, he's playing an actual electric guitar. This is one of the rare instances where they're actually playing a full blown guitar for that. Yeah. Some kind of, they're doing a lot of riffs and soloing on this record. Yeah, it's that psychobilly sound, very appropriate and appropriately placed on the record. If this was up front, you'd get a poor impression of what the band actually is. But by this oh, point, totally. you've taken the journey with them. You know who they yeah, are. Yeah, you're in. Yeah. I did mention Pure Frosting earlier. There's live versions of a lot of these songs available. There's on the deluxe, the whole show. Yeah. And if you think the energy levels on the album are up, live it's even more insane and some of these songs really burn they're re- they were a live band just a great live band yeah good one love this one really really good are we at candy already candy sugar's only sweetness salt is ocean tears and you were my only weakness for years and years and years you little yellow sweetie, you were hiding in a jar. Now my mind is gone completely. This one had a little Delta Blues on it, even. Some Delta Blues. But like, done out of a surf shop by some very horny gentleman who is very likely high on some sort of amphetamine. I guess they said Led Zeppelin inspired this one. Okay. So, hey, my Robert Plant earlier, not off. Not, not wrong. There you go. Not not wrong. And then the song is about equating drug addiction to candy. Wow. Okay. So yeah. uh, double double right on the amphetamines. Again, I was thinking everything was about sex, so I didn't I wasn't thinking that, but that makes sense. I got the lyric here. The sugar's only sweetness, salt is ocean tears, and you were my only weakness for years and years and years. You little yellow sweetie, you were hiding in a jar. Now my mind is gone completely. Take off the lid and there you are. Wow. Boom. Yikes. Followed by some Peter Frampton style squawk box. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, he's singing into the pickup of his bass guitar with, he's, he's got a thing called a rat distortion pedal. Yeah. And I guess the pickup, it just almost sounded like a microphone. Really cool. I thought Kanye was one of the first to do that, but I guess it was the presidents of the USA. <laughs> That's awesome. This song is very catchy. I, I found myself humming this one. In fact, when I was doing the initial notes, I was listening to it and, and I had to take a break to help Susanna with something and then I came back. 
and I found myself humming it while I was away. Very, very catchy. And also, I think maybe a sequel to Peaches in a way. Just Could be. Thematically and metaphorically, it just seemed like those two songs were connected. And I wonder if it's the drug thing, because I the implication... I don't know. Maybe it's about weakness. Maybe, maybe I'm keying in on the weakness, because I guess the, the weakness of his vulnerability and writing about that experience with that crush, it could be equated to like the weakness of getting sucked into drugs or something. I don't know. I could be reaching. But no, I, I understand what you're saying. They felt stylistically similar to me. Yeah, just a great song. Not a, have we both liked every song so far? I don't think there's been a song where I've been like, eh. Yeah, there's not one I would have cut. And it's a long album. It breaks all your rules, Ryan. It breaks my rules. That's why I like it. I like things that are contrary to my own self. You know what I'd like to be? What's that? Naked and famous. Oh, you set me up for it. <laughs> those lucky suckers, they don't have to work. Big 3D billboards and big 30-foot smurfs. Yeah, Naked and Famous. Everybody knows this, especially all of us California. You would know this as a Burbank guy. Oh, I'm a big... Kind of a, yeah, Burbank guy. <laughs> Burbank guy is well known. So you want to be famous, young lady? <laughs> <laughs> we got to work hard and be polite. I don't know what you're trying to imply. I wasn't saying anything at all. Yeah. Who is this new character? It's horrible. The, those lucky suckers, they don't have to work, make 3D billboards and big 30-foot Smurfs. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this is just this is just him railing on L.A., right? Like, just him totally tearing apart Los Angeles is what I'm to understand. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. funny. He says, this was written after my first visit to L.A. <laughs> I was struck by the industry of name brand recognition and the giant faces on all the billboards. It seemed like everyone had an angle, and the goal was complete recognition as a star. The phrase I came up with to sum up was naked and famous. It went through a lot of incarnations in a lot of bands before the presidents of the United States got a hold of it, but none of those versions matched the president's straightforward energy. The solo at the end is is Kim from Soundgarden. Oh, wow. He's an early supporter of the presidents. I actually called out that psychotic guitar solo. So yeah, that, that one really hit me too. It's a great end for the record, a perfect little end cap there. It's got a variety. It's still funny. It's charming. It's mellow to start and then ramps up at the end. And yeah. again, these lyrics are just funny as hell. It, I pulled another one here. There's a big old dollar sign on the Sunset Strip. You can send your friend a postcard. It ain't worth the trip. Mm. <laughs> so funny. Fair. The thing that Kim just said sums it all up for me. Because Chris says that Kim said, just because we, meeting the presidents, are fun, doesn't mean we are disposable. There you go. And that's it. Presidents. We made it through episode one. Wait, are we going to do some press or reception? Oh, no, I have more work to do. Gentlemen, you've just recorded your first number one. Wow, an award statue! Uh, oh, it's a Grammy! Thank you. The reception of this album, as we've stated, was 
good. <laughs> you even had the Larry in your face on that one. I like pretty, that. Pretty good. Number six on the Billboard 200. And as of 1997, so a couple years later, it went triple platinum. Very quick for a record, even at that time. Yeah. Johnny Loftus of All Music wrote that their quirky take on punk pop did help expand the palette of MTV and alternative radio and make their oddball singles part of the enduring sound of the era. All the reviews are at least a 7 out of 10 or above from all music, even Drowned in Sound, which normally rips things apart, loved it, NME, Q. This is an album that made an impact on society. It's been, like I said at the beginning, Hank Hill is talking about the song (laughs) Peaches. Yeah. Bill Nye, the science guy, has made mention of it, some demonstration. Weird Al, as you mentioned. I think that when your song gets covered by Weird Al, that's when you've made it. That's yeah. the stamp. I'm like, okay, we definitely, definitely did a good job here. And you, Ryan, did a great job bringing this wonderful first album of season three to the table. Here I was, sitting here scratching my scrote wings, not knowing what season three was going to be all about. And here, boom, out the gate. Those things are not looking healthy, by the way. I think you have to get them removed. (laughs) And I I have embedded scrote wings enough into the show where to take it out would be more laborious than to leave it in. So Yeah, you really dug yourself in on that one. Look, thank you, Ryan. This is a great record. I am very excited for season three. Thank you all for joining us for season three of the program. And thanks to everybody who supported us last season. We had a lot of fun last season. Had a lot of good times. A reminder out there, folks, that we'd love it if you rate, reviewed, and subscribed. I mean... Oh, yeah, please. I know it goes without saying, but it actually doesn't. Because if you rate the show and write a little review, I don't care what you write about. Write about your favorite podcast. It doesn't even have to be ours. Just talk about... Talk about Doughboys. Talk about something else. Just talk about how much you love Doughboys. If you write about how much you love Doughboys on our rating, as long as it's Mm -hmm. five stars, we're going to be so appreciative. Five stars or more. Or more. Or more. Find ways to put more on there. Write the code. I'm not your keeper. (laughs) I'm definitely not my keeper or yours. My my wife is mine. So you (laughs) should figure it out. Take those coding lessons. JavaScript apparently is popular with Python. Hack all of the systems. Get in there. Hack the system. Get us those reviews. Do it. We want to hear it. We want to hear from you. I am outside your house or car right now. (laughs) Smashing peaches with my fist. Waiting for you. I will stop only when you give us the review. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And I guess we'll see you next time. See you next time. Enjoy every peach sandwich. Bye-bye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at nowhearthispodcast on Instagram, at nowhearthispod on Twitter, facebook.com slash nowhearthispodcast, or email us at nowhearthisofficial at gmail.com. See you next time. everybody paul and ryan here hey there two friends of ours just launched an incredible podcast 
about the ultimate animated fantasy cartoon, Adventure Time. That's right. It's called Adventure Guys. And if you're looking for a deep dive into one of the most beloved, elaborate, and universally rich franchises, oh, are you in luck. Oh, you're lucky. Nick Harvey and Eric Dano, these guys, affable and well-educated hosts. That's right. And we think you'll really enjoy the show's breezy and informative pace. It's a lot of fun. And when you go, tell them Paul and Ryan sent you. What? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, they could send an email. Slide a DM, perchance a TikTok. Well, I want to say that's banned now in this country, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, folks, the show's called Adventure Guys. That's the important thing. Adventure Guys. So who's more Finn or more Jake? I feel like I I might be more like Jake. You're more of a lemon grab. Unacceptable! Seriously, everybody, go listen to Adventure, guys. It's a great show. You're going to love it. Check it out. And that's it. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute Mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love. And that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, bye then.